but we had one guy worked three dogs had two bites three dogs two bites his um, entire career yeah because he was a turd he right. was lazy worried about other bullcrap not worried about doing the job you know and and I, again listen you don't measure a guy's workload by the amount of bites he had that's a dangerous way to live However, we're out there running and gunning. This is a violent city. A lot of people get bit. A lot of people need to get bit and deserve to get bit. And he's not doing it. So, which means to me, he's risking everyone's life. Like everybody, the guys, civilians, everybody, when he should be biting and he's worried about paperwork or some other crap. Hey guys, check out the 2023 Street Cop Conference, April 23rd through the 28th, Gaylord Convention Center. It's going to be the event of the year. Keynote speakers include Rob O'Neill, the guy who killed Bin Laden, Kyle Carpenter, the youngest living Medal of Honor recipient, Navy SEAL Jason Redmond, Fox News host Tommy Laren, Marine Corps Special Forces and Leadership Coach Cody Alford, Sheriff Wayne Ivey, Sheriff David Clark, and Sheriff Mark Lamb. It's going to be one hell of an event. And on top of that, we have all of our instructors and additional instructors from other companies going to be at the event, giving you everything they know for you to have a successful career and get the results you want to get in the field as a police officer. On top of attending the event, you'll get face-to-face -face time with every instructor attending the event, and all the keynote speakers will spend time with you. we got special events all week, giveaways, nightlife. It's going to be really, really worth your time, energy, and effort. I promise you, you will not regret it for a second. To register for the conference, check out streetcop.com, click conference, and everything you need will be there on the homepage. If you are looking for a room, just click book a room. The block has been sold out at the Gaylord Opryland Convention Center but there are many hotels nearby within a walking distance of the event. You don't want to miss out on this opportunity. We will see you there. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benino, and today we have with us Eric Stambro. The O is a part of his last name, but he's made it very clear that he's not Italian. Yeah. Uh, which, unfortunately, to his detriment, he will never get to experience the wonderful world of being Italian and having everybody in your family think they know what they're talking about and has no fucking clue what they're talking about. Welcome to an Italian household. So, without further ado, I appreciate you being here. You could tell us about who you are, what you do, all the other shit. Uh, it, I'm not Italian, but I do talk with my hands a lot. Oh, that's cool. So, you, you'll probably see these big hands come in and out of Wait, the camera. were you an operator? Like, were you like an operator, like SWAT and shit? Yeah, yeah. For yeah, nobody years. talks more than Italians with their hands in SWAT operators because you guys are always doing this fucking little maneuver here, right? Like that. Yeah, like that. Yeah. You're doing those fucking like, we're going this way, we're going that way. You take your two hands and like, look, like you're, uh, you know, directing traffic. It's so fucking funny. And so like, there's like, like the arm, like you guys do like the, like the Tyrannosaurus arms. Yeah. And you're like, and you go like, yeah, that's it. Like, it's everything's about where you're going to point that fucking muzzle. And also how big the pizza is that you're about to eat, you know, or which nice. way the beach is, that one. Gotcha. So, yeah, my name is Eric Stambro. I'm in uh, over in Ohio. I retired from Canton, Ohio Police Department in November of 2018. I, I've been a cop since 93. I worked at oh. some small little departments. Then I worked at Canton for 23 years to finish out the pension. And then I still have a commission at a small place called Alliance, uh, which is a great department, really big on training. Um but I, I keep a commission there, but I'm owner of uh, this Van S canine back here. Uh, I train and sell police dogs. Um, I also own uh, Ridgeside Canine Ohio, which is pets. 
And then I have my own podcast called Working Dog Radio. Myself and another guy, Ted, are co-hosts. All right. So uh, Venice Canine Training, Canine Academy, tell us about your experience with dogs, how you got into this, and then we'll go into some of that shit. Then we'll hear about your training thing. Yeah, I um, so I got hired at the PD in 1996. Like I said, I worked at some small places, no dogs there. Got hired at Canton in 96. I'm from Canton, so that was my hometown. Very busy place. I always say Canton is a um, drug and crime-infested shithole dump. However, it is a target-rich environment for actual police work and canines. Um, I got on the PD, did patrol, did undercover narcotics, back to patrol, uh, got into canine. At the same time, we were a part-time SWAT team. I was on SWAT for about 15 years. Uh, was a you know shield guy, a banger, a, a sniper, all, all that stuff on a smart on a, on a team. We we're busy, like one call out a week is pretty busy for a part-time team. Mostly dope raids. Um, and then I got, I came out of the uh, dope unit in 05, bid canine, got on canine in September of 05. Um, I worked four dogs on the street till I retired. I worked, um, end of 10, beginning of 2011, I got named the head trainer. So, um, at the time that was a full-time job at the PD, they made me work a dog and be the trainer for a while. Um, I took a leave of absence for about four months. I went and trained dogs for the Navy SEALs out on West coast for a little bit and then came back and then they reinstalled me as a full-time trainer. And I did just um dogs and firearms until i retired yeah so how many cool. dogs are you guys training a year and selling to uh these these agencies um i'm about i'm smaller i'm about 50 50 to 70 um sometimes less but never more i think 68 is about the most i've done in a year but i have eight kennels and it's just me i have 27 employees on the pet side just me on on this side um so it's a lot of work did you always have like an affinity for dogs? Like when you talk to Brainard, I don't know if you spoke with him, but I think he had like grew up literally like having like 17 German shepherds as fucking <laughs> pets. It's like a wild shit like that. No, my mom hated dogs. So we had no dogs growing up. I always wanted one, but we had none. And uh, I remember when I was, when I was about four, we had a dog and uh, I think her name was Sherry, if I remember right. And one day we come home and Sherry's not there. She must have ran away. Pretty sure they got rid of my mom. She just didn't like dogs. So um, as we grew up, I just, when I got on the PD though, the canine guys that were there were shit hot. You know I mean? They were always on every call, the tip, tip of the spear, so to speak, that cliche, but real busy, good dudes. Uh, they had a bunch of turds prior and those guys were all gone. All the guys that were handlers were rock stars. Um, they, at Canton, they, the handlers don't have to handle regular calls or uh, like accidents. It's just canine calls or any kind of violent call. Um, mm -hmm. So, so canines end up going to domestics and things like that. They do have to handle that, but uh, so it's a pretty good gig. And at the city, again, it's the only gig there with a take-home car, the chief and the canines, that's it. Nobody else. So there's that advantage, you know, it's, it's a wrong reason to get into it, but it was a pretty cool little, uh, thing because i lived about 35 minutes from the pd so that was actually kind of a pay raise using their gas you know as i travel the country we speak about canines in my program and i hear a theme from time to time of like yeah i mean we have a dog but our handler's a piece of shit right our handler's a fucking bum 
And typically it's usually they got the dog through some kind of nepotism where somebody they know got him the spot and these guys are just unmoted fuckheads. So I'm curious, what makes a handler a turd? So it's unmotivated, not, you know, not wanting to be at work in it for the wrong reasons in it so that they get time off of the street and get to go to training. They don't do anything at training. Um, they're not uh, out there volunteering for those calls, being the first guy on that call. They're just, it's a, it's like a culture thing. I, I, I just interviewed a guy on my podcast who has a huge training group with like uh, 80, 89 dogs. And I said, how do you handle the turds? What do you do? Because when I took over, we had some in the training group, some slugs. I just changed the, the culture of the training group by leading in from the front, getting the bite suit. I'm the oldest guy there still doing all the work. Um, setting that example, not letting the guy sit in the car on their phone, get out, help do this, do that professional development for everybody. And that's what, that's what um, the guy we had on the podcast said the same thing. He's like, you just have to set the environment. The turds then will leave because they don't want to do that. The work, you know what I mean? We had our, our unit was busy. Like we had six dual, dual purpose dogs. And as a unit, we were getting a bite a week, which for 80,000 person uh city that's a lot but we had one guy worked three dogs had two bites three dogs two bites his um, entire career yeah because he was a turd he right. was lazy worried about other bullcrap not worried about doing the job you know and and I, again listen you don't measure a guy's workload by the amount of bites he had that's a dangerous way to live However, we're out there running and gunning. This is a violent city. A lot of people get bit. A lot of people need to get bit and deserve to get bit. And he's not doing it. So, which means to me, he's risking everyone's life. Like everybody, the guys, civilians, everybody, when he should be biting and he's worried about paperwork or some other crap. You know, it's interesting to me is even after I left the police department, an article came out when it was cop bashing season. And it said that uh, I, I don't know, might have been that still held the most use of force reports at the police department. I'd be gone a year or two, right? Nice. So, so I try to explain to people, same concept. If I'm doing 10 or 15 use of force reports a year, and I'm one of the most active guys at the agency, and on top of being active, I can assure you that me and a handful of other people on our shifts were the ones being chosen to go to jobs that had potential danger. So I'd be cleared off of shit very quickly when something really hot was coming in. So, you know, it, it was, wasn't unkind, not just me, other guys on my shift that they knew, or radio people who were cops, worked in the field with said, there's a lot going on here. It looks like it is potentially very dangerous, at least very physical. We're going to send, and it's the same cars every single time. Dad, what are you doing? You done with that report? You got enough for your report? Yep. All right, we got a hot one coming in. I got 16 guys fighting at a bar. Hmm. So-and-so, you available? Yep. All right, back. You're, you're heading out there, too. And then, you know, you have other people jump in, but they want to get those primary cars out there they know that can handle a situation like that. They're not calling, like, you know, dainty little daisy flower uh, who we know can't fight for their life. You're go so on top of all that, then I look at people who were in the same field that I was in, worked in the same area that I did, and didn't do use of force reports for five years. How is that possible? And it comes down to one thing. They're not doing their job. I didn't go and beat people up. I was met with violence when I showed up and I had really good IPC skills 
But if I couldn't communicate with them at some point um, without taking action in the sense of employing physical force, I would put other people in jeopardy, including myself. So I understand the science behind it when you get these people who are non-cops and critics. And when I say non-cops, I'm even including people that are cops but aren't really cops because there's no shortage of those either. There are plenty of cops who wear the uniform and pretend like it's Halloween, but have never done this fucking job one time and they're fucking no help. And unfortunately, at times, some of those people are on command staff. So I, I get that. I get. I think a, a canine t- handler turd is no different than a patrol division turd, a detective turd, right? Correct. And, you know, and um, I, I do believe that I don't know if it's the nature of the world, the universe, that some guys are shit magnets. I really do believe that. Um, sometimes it's just the nature of where you position yourself. If you're patrolling in your beat and you're actively, you know, land shark and creeping through the alleys, shit's going to pop off when you're around it. Just so it just the way it happens. Like I was involved in four line of duty deaths while I was working. Um, we have 175 guys in the department. I had four and it just, shit just happened to me. Right. Um, the last year that I was on patrol without a dog, I had, it's like 245 felony arrests I made, but I had 53 IA complaints that year, 53, almost all were use of force cleared on every single one of them. It was just people trying to get out of court cases, you know, by claiming that we did a guy claimed I tased him in the balls. We didn't even have tasers, you know, that type of stuff. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so that was, we were, it was just super busy and it's just, I don't know. It's kind of how you put yourself out there, how that works. Stuff is just going to happen to you. Like it happened to me way up into late in my career. I shot the last guy I shot and killed was, uh, just a few years before I retired. It was, uh, just that's the way stuff happens to certain people. Kid calls me like a year ago and I've talked about this in the podcast in the past, but I haven't brought it up recently or I didn't call me. Sorry. Send me a message on Facebook and I get these messages typically right after class or they attended a class or a couple of weeks after when they have results, everybody's excited, man. You get your perspective change. You learn what police work is you realize it's not tickets and running random plates and being a dick. It's just the opposite. So in your mind, you can imagine what that is. And I think people find fulfillment when they actually discover their purpose in their agency. And I think that we do a really good job of explaining where the path leads to fulfillment, where to find it, how to go about it. So this kid says to me, Yeah, I came to your class a couple months ago. My chief says I always find trouble. I'm a real shit magnet. I'm always finding trouble. And my response back to him was, if you're not finding trouble, what kind of cop are you? Isn't it your job as the police to find trouble? Think about it. If you're not finding trouble, what kind of cop are you? It means you're not doing your job. All our job is to go out and to find trouble and to nip it in the bud before it becomes some real trouble. Yeah, I was always big on uh, creeping and riding the the alleys and working in the certain, I worked in a gang infested zone and I knew everybody, their parents, their address, where they were creeping in and out of alleys. I knew who should be there, who shouldn't be there, all that type of stuff. You know, I took pride in kind of controlling that environment a little bit when granted it's a one shift bandaid, you know, I'm just like, I'd come out, arrest every single hooker that I saw so that I never saw him again for the rest of the shift. And so they knew when they saw me, when they knew the time came three o'clock when I was on afternoons, for example, disappear, right? And you just, if your eyes are open, you're going to see stuff. If they're closed and you're sitting behind a building, nothing's, you're never going to do anything, you know? 
What about if you're worried about running a license plate and getting a return on the computer and oh like 26 God. of those every fucking minute? Let me tell you this. So I was at Canton 23 years. I never wrote a single speeding ticket. Um, I wrote some other tickets, you know, looking for dope and things like that. Um, if I stopped you in Canton and you had a driver's license, it was so rare. I let you go. I go, did you just kill somebody? They go, nope. I go, get out of here. Like a couple like hardcore dudes too, you know, um, I, in departments, I, I've said this a lot and this kind of irritates some people. Departments that obsessively do traffic enforcement, a, in my opinion, obsessive track of traffic enforcement for the, for the sake of traffic enforcement is not police work. And I think what you're doing is holding your, your residents hostage and you'll know it when you go through the small town and everyone is doing two miles an hour under the speed limit because they're petrified of getting a ticket. And what that does is that makes them not like you. So people think they're doing the right thing in there. You know, maybe there's 50,000 people in their little town. And if they're nailing people for three over four over on the speed limit, blasting stop signs and, and just writing all these tickets and all they do is traffic enforcement, their residents hate them. They hate them and they feel hostage there, right? Because, and you can tell they're, they're petrified to do 38 and a 35, right? And it, it just drives me insane. There's a, there's a city north of here called North Canton that's like that. And North Canton controls, they do it on purpose. They control their, their um, populace through traffic lights. There, you cannot hit a string of traffic lights in North Canton green. Cannot do it. Impossible. Red, green, green, red. Red, red is not, it takes you forever to get through this stupid little city. And it's this weird obsession with traffic enforcement. And it's never, I just don't think it's a good idea. Meanwhile, North Canton has some crime, not a lot. They got burglaries. They got some, you know, shoplifting thefts. They got things that happen. There's drugs there, but all they do is traffic tickets. Traffic enforcement is not law enforcement. Yeah, I honestly That pisses people off, by the way. That's going to irritate the shit out of people, but. Guess what, dude? Have you seen my Instagram fucking yeah. page? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, you don't have to tell me, bro. I, I get who my audience is. And, and you know, honestly, that's how I feel about it. And, you know, he said it drives you insane. Is it because there's just so much better shit that we could be doing with our time than writing fucking speeders? You're better off going around and shagging doors and meeting business owners than writing fucking tickets for bullshit. Right. You know, I get school zones. That's a little different. I you agree. Know, actual productive protective things but but sitting there running i see a guy in a small town running radar especially rear like, antenna radar it's about rear antenna radar I, let's even oh. take one step even further and i beg these guys i'm like if you're gonna go back and you missed the whole joke about what i said today right you missed every point that i i i, I did you're gonna go back and you're gonna go out and write these corny ass tickets all day how about you just do me a favor? Turn the fucking car around and run front antenna radar or take the antenna yeah. off the back of the fucking dashboard. <laughs> so at a very minimum, you can at least see into a car. So if somebody's getting their fucking skull bashed in or they're getting shot or being kidnapped or being sexually assaulted inside the car, maybe just maybe you might have an observation and say, you know what? I am a cop, even though I'm, I think I'm a fucking ticket machine. Maybe I should stop this car and find out what's going on inside of it just to be curious, just to at least get eyes on it and a little bit of ears to ensure that it wasn't the kidnapping you thought it was. These rear antenna radar runners are fucking a joke, dude. They're a fucking oh, yeah. joke. If I see you running radar or laser at five o'clock, like, like people are going home from work, leave them the fuck alone. 
leave working people alone at that time. And if you, you know, you probably know this more, most cops I would assume are killed on traffic stops. And so I'm not saying don't get killed by avoiding traffic stops. I'm saying it is the, everyone is so fucking pissed off that you stop them. Like there's people that just, that's it. That was the last thing that they couldn't take anymore was your traffic stop. And I'll jump in here and actually say that I believe in my heart of hearts that a lot of our bullshit from proactive work comes from people who write tickets, not people who go out and try to stop crime and hunt criminals. Because what you'll find out in the game is not all of them, but a lot of times these criminals don't want to fight back because they're trying to conceal something, conceal themselves. And people will say, well, I'm not saying every scenario. I'm not saying if you don't stop a car, but I'm saying I can show you many instances that didn't have to occur and they did because of some dumbass shit because we're trying to enforce some dumbass fucking law when there's a thousand better things to be doing with our time now again probability versus possibility so i think when people are missing the mark often when i put this stuff on instagram like oh so you're telling me traffic stops aren't important no no i actually would argue that traffic stops might be the most important thing that cops can do in their downtime the most uh that that's my position on it and the only reason I know that is because, or I believe that is because I know that crime travels and it's got to go from point A to point B, no matter what crime it is, everybody's getting to a car at some point. It's very rare that crime is going to occur on foot or on a bicycle. Uh, somebody, there's got to be a mode of transportation. So if you can intervene at that point where they're the most vulnerable and interdict and stop that crime, I think that's what cops should be doing. So, right. You say like, and then you'll have the argument. Oh, speed kills. You don't want us to come out here and enforce, enforce law. Like, Yo, you work in Atlanta, bro. You guys have like fucking three homicides a day. Like the fuck are you doing writing tickets? Like what is, what are they saying to the public by going out and not using police resources where they belong the most? Protecting actual, not just hypotheses on speed kills or like, obviously there's a correlation, right? Everybody is speeding. There's nobody who follows a speed limit. So of course we can always say speed kills. That only makes sense. Well, speed kills, sure. The guy was doing 29 and a 25. That's technically speed kills. Um, well, da, 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 this guy, yeah, I get it. The dude doing 138 on his motorcycle and went to the back of a car. Yes, I get that speed does kill. Um, do I think drunk drivers kill people? No, no doubt about it. I don't take a position on DWI uh, in a sense of, I think that's not an important thing to do because people do die and cops get killed by drunk drivers all the time. No issue with that. What I'm saying is, you have time, energy, and effort. You have basic skills as a police officer. Why are you picking off low-hanging fruit like a guy named fucking Pete who's late to work, you know, and he's going to get docked a day's pay, and he fucked up this morning, got his time a little screwed up, and he's 14 over the speed limit when you literally have a dude down the street that's sitting outside of a playground picking out which kid he wants to fucking try to pick off. That's my point. Yeah, and... There are guys in the, in this line of work that are absolutely pissed that you are speeding and pissed that you rolled the stop sign and pissed that you pushed the yellow light. They're just like really pissed about it. You know, Ohio used to be a two plate state. You had to have a front plate and a back plate. You know, a lot of dudes are sitting in prison right now because they didn't have front plates. But there were cops that were stopping guys for front plates because they were pissed that they didn't have a front plate. Yeah. And it's like, God, mess it. Come on, man. I'll give you a pretty funny story, which I love. We had a, a new mayor come in a real piece of shit. And he decided he was going to balance the budget off of the backs of police and fire. So what he did was he let our numbers dwindle like really bad. We were 
we're like a, supposed to be a 200 man department. We got down to about 140 and um, dangerously low, still make it, you know, so now everybody's making overtime because we have minimum staffing. But what he did was he's also going to lay off a whole bunch of new guys. Now they have never laid off in the city ever. They've threatened, they've given the pink slips and it's always been a bluff. But what we did, our union's real strong, but what our union did was we went to the city and said, and I, I was not a fan of this at all, but they went to the city and said, we're going to try to save these guys' lives. Can we do it through a traffic blitz? Tickets, sharing, the, sharing with the court system and everything, getting the money back to us to save these guys' jobs. They're like, cool. So these guys went on a terror of writing traffic tickets, just crushed the people in this city with traffic tickets. The, the municipal court judges were so pissed off about that. They took every dime from that program and rebuilt their entire municipal court building, redid their security, didn't give a single dime to the city, not one single dime. And they still didn't lay those guys off. It was a huge bluff the whole time. Wow, dude. And and that's, that's what I can't stomach is that we're trying to, uh, it's just, man, it's like, it's like the IRS, right? You take the IRS, who do they go after? People that are legit, right? For the most part, if you really think about what they do, they go after legitimate people. If you're a drug dealer, right? You're a drug dealer, you're trafficking human beings, you're doing all this shit that's completely working on the dark web, whatever the fuck it may be. You might get in trouble with law enforcement, but it's rare that you'll hear from the IRS. But if you're a guy or a girl who's maybe in a small business and you have to pop on an audit and you were trying to do things the right way, You'd be surprised how fast they come up to those folks and not the ones who are illegitimate. So why do we go after pretty much legitimate people all the time? And what they're looking for, if you don't know tax code well, is they're looking for like a misinterpretation of the tax code. What they want to say is like, well, I didn't know I couldn't write off those things. Well, no, well, I mean, I reported them. I just didn't know I couldn't do that. Like, And they change it like, you owe us six. They'll spend countless man hours, like no bullshit, this is real, countless man hours as an IRS agent to get and recoup like 4,000, 5,000 bucks from like a regular Joe, right? But the people who are out there like these cartel leaders and these fraudulent fraud fuckers and all this crime that's going on, that's just a little too hard, you know? And I'm not saying they don't have yeah. agents designated to, but why don't we have all agents designated to that? It's the same theory. You know, why are we going after Joe, the fucking blue collared guy? Because he'll uh, pay it. Yeah, yeah. And dude, like they know it's, it's just, it gets frustrating at times because we have to focus our energy and efforts where they deserve the most. And, and it's a conversation I've been having lately with the current status and criteria of what we are getting as cops and who we have as cops. So we got to begin to balance what our priorities are. And uh, I got to tell you, using human beings as an ATM machine for seven over the speed limit when you're also a hypocritical piece of shit and do the same exact thing in your off-duty hours, um, I have a real problem with that. And if you want to go out and stop criminals. I could always tell you that like when I locked a dude up for selling drugs, I wasn't a hypocrite because I don't sell drugs. When I locked a guy right. up for, for stop, stalking a girl and I got it on a cold stop, right? And I like, I, I get consent because I know something's wrong and I'm going to find like manifest and all this weird shit, right? And he gets charged with stalking and goes to jail for that. I'm not hypocritical because I don't stalk anybody. Um, you know, that's the point I try to make people misconstrue that message. And again, I was that guy. I wrote tickets. I wrote, I look back, I wrote tickets when I didn't, when I shouldn't have wrote tickets. I didn't know what else to do. I wanted to be proactive. I ran random plates. I ran rear antenna radar. Nobody ever told me after three police academies that that was not police work. I had to figure it out on my own. I remember the first time I heard about what police work was. 
because I recognized after like nine months of effort, I'm like, this can't be right. I mean, we're just stumbling across these traffic warrants on random play inquiries. And I'm hearing stories 10 towns away that they're getting these guys. And I'm like, what are we doing wrong? And all we did do was find somebody who showed us what we were doing wrong and how to do it right. Yeah. Um, I Here's a little thing I used to do. If I was sitting at an intersection and somebody would stretch that light out, right? And run through the red light. You, me, every single human being does it. Um, I would, everybody would turn and look at me at the intersection. Every single person at the four way would look at me. I'm like, fuck. So I'd go pull the person over and I'd say, listen, we're going to stay here and talk. And I'm going to act like I'm talking to you till all of these people leave. And then I'd say, listen, there's only two reasons why you push that. One, you're going too fast or two, you're not paying attention. Correct both of those. And I'm not going to give you a ticket because I ran one of those lights yesterday. Every single person does it. You can't be hypocrite. And most traffic enforcement guys are. Oh, they're fucking hypocrites, dude. They're hypocrites. They're just the most hypocritical motherfuckers in the world. And I got to tell you, it's just an e it's such an easy ship to climb aboard because you can show production. It takes no talent or skill. It takes no skill to write a ticket. It takes none. It takes zero. You can I could teach anybody at this office right now, the 19 employees that sit here today, and well, actually probably about half of them know how to write tickets because they all used to be cops. Um mm-hmm. to go out right now and write, I can show here. How's how's here's a LIDAR gun? How does it work? Press the trigger and hold the red uh dot on the on the bumper of the car that's coming you'll hear it click and then you just like look at it and see what it says oh it says he's doing 71 no well, then he's doing 71 what else do i need to know nothing you can stop that car now and write the ticket and in the lidar notes you got to write lidar number 643 and then you're done like how do you fill out a ticket yeah here it is actually matter of fact now you don't even have to fucking handwrite these things anymore you just scan their license select a charge and hit enter and it prints out and you just go give it back to them that's it yep that's all Perfect. Could you, Easy. You couldn't take somebody in literally 10 minutes and train them on how to identify, stop, and, and bring to justice the criminal element. It takes skill. No, it yeah. takes passion. It takes dedication. And, and you've got to have that real desire to understand the art and craft of police work. That's why men and women who are good at catching criminals and good at this job take great pride in it because it is an art form. There's nothing artistic about writing tickets. There is nothing. What I think is cool about my department is they understand the nature of the crime in this, in the city for the most part. So 99% of the guys are not certified on laser or radar. And there are none in any of the cars. You actually have to check the, you have to go sign them out if you want to do it. And the only time they would do that is if there's a federal traffic enforcement grant, even our traffic enforcement guys uh, they have them. They don't do it because they're too busy handling crashes because nobody in Canton can fucking drive. Like everybody crashes. So the traffic enforcement might as well be called the accident bureau because that's all they do. Yeah. And it, actually, I wish we had it like that where I was at. Um, I hear that a lot, like a lot of traffic guys, if you go to traffic, you're right. Tick, you know, you are, you're doing the crashes the whole time. That's your job. Not where we were. <laughs> we did it all, man. Patrol had to, had to cover everything. Yeah. It would have been nice. But I think about these people that I've known throughout my career that were in these traffic divisions. And I got to tell you, for the most part, they're all cut from the same cloth. Sometimes you run across the guy or girls like, hey, man, like I hate to be in this division, but the schedule's better. It works with my kids. Uh, it's the only time you can go from a five and two to a three and three. Like it was a real big opportunity for a better life. I get it. Right. Like I don't. And they're always defending it. Like, dude, I only write like this, like really bad people. Like people are doing like 28 over. That's all right. And I'm like. Oh, I get like I I 
I don't take these shots, one, because it's not true, but two, I, I'm trying to help people understand what police work is. So I'm essentially talking to me of the past. If Dennis Benino, circa 2003, would have heard some conversation like this, I would have said, you know what? Uh, I never heard of anything like that. So I don't just say that. I say, here are the tools, the resources, and the tactics that you need to go out and do good police work. Simple shit. Just basic stuff. It's not, it's the same amount of effort, better results. Yeah. And I've always advocated that patrol, like creeping and land shark and patrol has probably, probably prevented more burglaries, more home invasions, more, uh, even armed robberies of liquor stores or whatever, family dollars or whatever, than anything by just being seen and putting miles on your car. I actually had a police department back when I was, it's like 1994, I was interviewing at a department and they said, what would you, what you, what do you do? I go, I believe in putting miles on the car, checking businesses, getting behind them, driving in and out all over the place. They didn't hire me because of that. They're like, yeah, we, we're trying not to wear out our cruisers like that. We would rather you just sit and run radar. I'm like, yeah, I'll have a good, have a good day guys. Yeah, I get it. There was a Instagram post yesterday. I don't know. It wasn't like the official Georgia Highway Patrol Instagram page. It was some other, other like police, obviously, promotional page. It had a picture of a Georgia State trooper with a laser gun. And it said like, so-and-so, blah, 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 is out here saving lives on the highway. And I actually commented on it. And I said, nothing, no better. And I probably said this yesterday in the podcast too, but I don't know exactly what I said. So it's kind of close. But I said, there's nothing better in the world that's stopping criminals and human trafficking than running LIDAR and laser. And they deleted it in fucking 10 seconds. The, the, no way. Well, yeah, because, dude, they're in control, right? They yeah. control the narrative. It's their platform. And the truth shows up, they slam the door. It's no different when I say to law enforcement command and leadership, you shouldn't be a fucking scumbag to those who work under the roof of your agency. As a matter of fact, you should do everything you can for a police officer who puts their life on the line every day and has to deal with enough bad stiff stuff that when they come back through this door, they feel like they are they can trust, they're welcome, and it's warm, and you can't do enough for them. And those people do. They put their heads down, right? They don't want to hear it. They don't want to put the effort in to give a fuck about their people. So then I'm coined with this anti-administration label. Oh, uh, he's anti-administration. Now, the people who say that, can you guess who they are? <laughs> administration. Well, administration that nobody likes. Right. Yeah, that, that guy. Yeah. So I have a th I am well known, especially I'm in the podcast circles. I am well known for hatred for admins. The good admins are just so they're so rare. There's so few of them because I travel all over the country, just like you do teaching canine stuff. It's the same. And I have a whole even a whole. Time frame. And we're kind of getting rid of these guys now because of age, but everyone hired in the early 90s, 92 to 95, around there that are admins, every one of them are cucks. Every one of those dudes, are only, their only management style is grudges, payback, favoritism, nepotism, and dislike of you for something you did when they were both patrolmen, and now they're, they're rank bullies. All of them. Every one of them, some bitches are rank bullies. They're horrible, horrible, horrible people. And they were all horrible cops. And so now what happens though, is they get a minion behind them and they just teach the next guy and teach the next guy. And then now we have, that's the way we've always done it. And it's poison 
And it takes a generation almost to get rid of that mentality from admins. Any admin that is a rank bully, you should just go fucking play in traffic. Just go stick your head into in front of a semi for me. Yeah. And it may take a generation or somebody to open their mouth and start talking about it like this podcast and a guy like you. I can't, I can't stand it. Like I did when I, I did a rant episode on my podcast when I retired that I think is our most downloaded episode. And I just motherfucked everybody. It's actually unhealthy for me though. Like our Ted and I will do rant episodes and everyone loves them. Usually it's the state of canine that we're bitching about, but I, I won't do them anymore only because a, it didn't really change anything. And B it's not healthy for me mentally. Like I get like, my wife's like, you're I'm pissed for days after. And it's just, uh, I don't know. TRT has helped bring that down a little bit though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go back to the canine shit a little bit. Yeah. Um, how about this? This is a good one. Cause I think people miss on this a lot. I've heard a lot of stories and horror stories in the canine community, but also know that people are smart enough now to grab somebody that may have experience with dogs when selecting a dog. So what is some advice or what should people look for when selecting a company to purchase a dog from or looking to purchase a dog? What's some advice, your new handlers? So the new handler, when, when I went through in 2005, they sent me and Chris, who was a, who's now the head trainer. He took over for when I retired, we went together with a guy who didn't know shit and we were tasked to pick out our dogs. I don't know anything. Right. So I picked out uh, this guy, this, this other handler helped me pick out a dog who ended up being the, an amazing pet, but almost got me killed on numerous occasions. Chris <laughs> ended up getting a dog that was, had one of the best careers I've ever heard of. Right. And it's just, he didn't know. He just liked the dog. Right. Um, I didn't know this female shepherd, Gina, uh, did some of the stuff. She bit the sleeve and things like, I don't know. Right. Um, what I know now we would have passed on it, but you got you. So let's start with this. Don't buy your way into canine. Stop fucking telling the agency you'll buy the dog or you're coming from another department with the dog that you paid for. Stop buying your way into canine. So if a, if, if a handler or an agency calls me and says, Hey, we want to do a handler class. This guy has a dog. I tell him, no, go somewhere else. It's incumbent upon the department to pay for the fucking dog. Right. It's incumbent upon the department to buy the cruiser, to pay for all the gear, pay for all the equipment. One of my biggest pet peeves is canines handle 15, 20 calls a shift, yet have to pay for everything out of pocket. SWAT, who doesn't do shit, who does maybe a call out a month, gets four, four can nods, $5,000 rifle setups, anything they want. There's no such thing as a SWAT car wash. Meanwhile, every swing and dick canine guy in this country is selling T-shirts and doing car washes and 5Ks and all this other shit to survive so that they can buy an, an e-collar, right? It's the, it's the most used division in a department and the least supported. It's so weird. It's like a epidemic in this country. But anyways, I have a lot of soapboxes, so I got to be I bounce all over uh -huh. the place. I like it. <laughs> so um, they got to go with somebody who knows, like truly knows. and. Dude, there's so much resource material now on internet that there's no excuse for it. The biggest problem that agencies have is they have relationships with vendors and they'll go to just that vendor, even though he's fucked them over numerous times, sold them garbage, like trash dogs, but they know him. So they go back to him and they just, cause it's easy and they just keep doing it. So 
you you got to ask around. Don't just go to the vendor who is right down the street. You know, uh, if he's got the best dog, do it. Go to that guy. Agencies don't ever want to pay guys to travel to go test. You know, like say up in Jersey, there's a bunch of uh, vendors down the East Coast into North Carolina. Over my way, there's a bunch. They won't leave Jersey. You know what I mean? When they could just go a few extra hours and pay for a hotel room and get a better product, right? Bigger kennels aren't always better. You got you to keep that in mind. But when you go to these things, you got to know what you're looking for. Don't, don't select a dog on how he looks. Don't select a dog on being big. Uh, everybody who is in this business knows you got to have a couple bigger dogs in your kennel because they'll sell every single time. Guys come in and they see the 90-pound Shepherd or the 65-pound Malinois. They're like, oh, I want that big Shepherd. Well, good dog, but a year into it, they're like, I can't lift this fat son of a bitch over any more fences. I'm going to die. You know what I mean? So every time I'm at a training thing and I see a guy with a 90-pound Shepherd, I'm like, your first dog? Like, yeah, how'd you know? Because your next dog is going to be the 65-pound Malinois, right? So don't select based on looks. Don't select based on um, on size. size. Don't get pigeonholed into German Shepherd only or Malinois only. Look for best dog. So if I have a department that contacts me and they say, uh, we only do shepherds. I pa- I tell them, take me off your list, pass on them as a client. I only get shepherds now on request because there's so many bad ones anymore. Um, my vendors in Europe know you got to send me a, a, an apex predator. If it's going to be a shepherd, they got to be a one percenter. Um, cause there's so many bad ones, but the agencies will say the sergeant who was a canine in 1994 will say, you know, you can't give a Malinois to a new guy. Cause they're, they're crazy. They're insane. You can't do that. I'm like, it happens every day in this country where we give green dogs, Malinois to new guys, the military every day, every single day. And it works out just fine. Well, that's my opinion. I'm like, well, go, go away then go to someone else. So you got to look for best dog and you got to know what you're looking for. The, if you're listening to this and you're a canine guy or, or, and you're kind of learning the, the thing, the fastest thing, the easiest way for you to fail a dog is take them off property, if the if the vendor will not let you take him off property, even if he goes with you, um, you got to move on, because the dogs are rock stars on property. Rock stars, take them off property to Home Depot, and just walk around and watch if that dog's confident or if he falls apart. Take him onto slick floors, st- open metal steps, like almost like a not quite a fire escape, but kind of similar, you know, the metal steps that are open in the back, make sure he goes up and down there, dark rooms, get him up off his feet, have him jump stuff. Most dogs I fail uh, are environmental failures. So at a minimum, you have that. You'll, you'll, you'll eliminate half the dogs that you're looking at. Say you're going to a place, you look at 10 dogs, you'll eliminate five of them on environmentals in five minutes a piece. Then you can start narrowing it down. And depending on the kennel, if the dog, if they say, hey, he's uh, he's on a bite sleeve already, well, he, he should be pretty good at that. If he's on it, you know, he should be pretty good at it. If he's, if you come to me, my dogs are on a bite suit already and they're good at it, right? Um, it's still considered a green dog, but wherever level they're at, they need to be really good at it. They don't need to be finding dope yet or explosives. 
And the other big thing is hunt. You got to test their hunt of a toy, throw it out into high grass, let them go check it out, throw it into a room where they can spin them around where they can't see it. Let them go. They can't bite the guy if they can't find the guy, right? You can't get the dope if they can't hunt and won't find it. You'll, you'll see that quickly. And I don't care if they ever find the ball as long as they don't stop. That's basic. Those, those two basic things, hunt and environmentals, you'll, you'll get your dog. Hey guys, if you're enjoying the Street Cop Podcast, do us a favor and go with, give us a review on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Tell a friend. We don't charge anything for the episodes. We appreciate your support. Check us out on any social platform by putting into the search bar, Street Cop Training. Give us a follow. We have a lot of free content coming out every single day that you might not catch here on the podcast, and it's important for you to be able to do your job more professionally, and we also entertain you as well. How many bad dogs do you think are out there or dogs that aren't confident? Oh, man, dude. A lot, like a lot. Um, I used to be, Ted and I used to co-own a, a company, uh, HRD Police Canine, where it's called High Risk Deployment. Him and another guy still own it. And we travel around the country doing um, scenario-based training for people. And our goal is not to fail your dogs at all. We don't want to break them. We don't want to do any of that. I do want to show you some holes or some things you need to work on. But at almost every one of these, there'd be 15 to 30 dogs there would be at least one where I would tell the handler, listen, dude, um, I'll write a letter to your chief or your sheriff, but this dog's going to get you killed. He shouldn't be on the road. And then there would be several others. I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't work that dog. Like, and this is where my experience comes from. Gina, that first dog I had, I mentioned, she had 20 plus. I worked her for three years before they finally got rid of her. 20 plus failures a year for three years, about 70, seven, zero failures to engage. That's the most I've ever heard of in the history of this country in canine. Most people, three, four, five failures, they're getting rid of the dog. My department would not get rid of the dog because of uh, money. And money. we'll get into the training thing I talked to you about, and you'll see why I think, because I begged him, I said, guys, she's going to get me killed. And their response was, we don't care. We aren't spending the money. Like I was fighting a guy over my gun and we're on the ground rolling around. And I just started doing jujitsu about a year ago. So back then I was doing the PPCT bullshit, you know, and um, fighting him over my gun, gun retention. We didn't do a ton of that fighting him over. She's, she had a 20 foot leash on. She's running around and wrapping me up in the leash, climbed on top of me and licked my face. Wow. While I was fighting the guy caught, caught his attention. I was able to break his grip off my pistol. Um, and, and then other guy showed up, but so I begged and begged for that. So I know what is not what you shouldn't be doing and what's going to get you killed and what's dangerous. I know I was there the worst of the worst. And, um, so I, I tell guys, and I don't try to embarrass him. I pull him aside. You're a man. I understand ego is a weird thing. A lot of these guys are in a, small training group area and they think they're king shit in in that area that might be till we show up to do the training and expose hole after hole after hole after hole in your dog basic stuff like real basic going from a a, a lighted room to a pitch black room dogs won't do it a lot of dogs won't do it that's a problem right so I, so there's a ton of those there's a ton of those guys working dogs where they make excuses because I did it. I know they make it. Well, he didn't bite because Venus is in retrograde and, you know, it was overcast and just excuse after excuse after excuse when that dog's not 
he just isn't that dog. He's not about that life. What about I hear of agencies, maybe a person gets promoted and sergeants or lieutenants don't have dogs. So they give the dog to another handler. What's your thoughts on that? So have a handler for the, one handler for like two or three years and the dog gets passed on to a new handler to retrain with. Works perfectly. It's a piece of cake. Um, okay. Gina. So what happened was I begged and begged and begged to get rid of her. We had a guy named Bill had a dog named Willie. Uh, Bill became our union president, which is basically a full-time gig. So he had to leave the unit. I said, I'll, I'll take Willie. Willie was only eight years old. Yeah, eight years old and had 50 street bites. I'm like, I'll, I'll take him. He's in his prime, right? And um, I took him and had 77 street bites in three years with that dog. But it was an easy transition. Well, I do it actually numerous times a year. Just switch him over. It's 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 pretty easy. Um you'll have these guys that ret that leave the agency and the dog's five and they really get pissed when the department doesn't sell them that dog for a dollar. I'm like, guys, he's five. He's their dog. He's the department's property. It, they can repurpose him. You know, they, they try that. Oh, he's a one handler dog. He'll kill everybody. Not when I start feeding him, he won't, you know, water, food, Pack fulfillment, that's what dogs need, and shelter. Water, food, pack fulfillment, and shelter. That's it. Your police dog is no different than your pet dog. He just has a little bit different motivations. So get in their stomach, and you get their heart. Why is it that canine handlers as a whole in a culture can never seem to agree on anything? <laughs> Everybody's got their own theories on everything. And I'll say one of our... Guys here who uh, is one of our instructors, Scott Kivitz, spoke at our event last year, our conference. And I'll never forget going out into the hallway after, actually, almost, I think he was still speaking. So our first guy comes with me, he goes, talk to you real fast. I go, sure. He goes, uh, that shit that he was saying on stage, that's not right about, about canines. I went, what do you mean? He goes, well, no, we don't, we don't crack the windows. We keep them rolled up or some shit like that. He either said vice versa. And I said, bro, I, I don't know. He goes, you shouldn't have somebody up there saying things like that. Literally three minutes later, I'm walking down the hall. Guy comes up to me and goes, hey, uh, I'm glad he said that because that's exactly what you're supposed to do for a, for a cent in a car. And I went, oh, okay. Because the last guy I talked to, he's like, no, he's wrong. Then the next day, I hear from three more canine guys who came from a canine team. They're like, hey, we don't agree with some of the stuff he said. Some of it was true. Some of it wasn't. And I'm like, does anybody have a uniform policy on what actually works scientifically and how these dogs work? Or is it just one big, this is my theory game? Because that's all I see all the time, these canine fuckers. Yeah, they have a lot of problems. And it's it's the same thing with pet dog trainers, too. Uh, just dog trainers, dog people in general. You know, it's that uh, the whole thing of of you know, three of them, two of them. They can all agree that two don't know shit, you know, whatever that is. So most of what guys know about dog training or dog handling is what they were told by the other guy, the guy before them or in their little area, their little unit. If you set every trainer down in this country, say that there was only one pure, true scientific way that to do everything one way. And you could show them reams and reams and reams of paperwork and scientific data. That's the only way most of the guys, if they weren't told that by their other dude, aren't going to believe it. Uh, you can show them. They're just not going to believe it. Um, I have reinvented my training system numerous times since I was a handler, since I started. So when I took over as trainer, I didn't like a lot of things that the old trainer did because, and I didn't really know much. I just knew there has to be a better way. We're just creating a lot of conflict with these dogs 
old school methods, like from the late eighties, early nineties methods. But guess what I did when I took over as trainer, my first class was exactly identical to the previous classes that that guy did. Cause that's what I know. And then I started going places and learning for other people and going to conferences and attending certain classes and going to seminars and, and working. And then I started changing. I changed to a better system. Well, guess what? I changed that system and I changed that system again. Currently where I'm at fifth or sixth iteration, I think I've got it pretty dialed in pretty, pretty set. And then I get a fucking dog who doesn't conform to this system. And I had to change some things because of a dog, a certain dog. So I let dogs teach me a lot. You know, they're not robots. I have three or four things say on detection, say I'm imprinting. Uh, I'm pointing cause I have my boxes over here where I imprint odor. Um, I, I have a pretty good way that works on most dogs. And then you'll get a dog that that doesn't work on. So I have a, a way to change that. Right. Then that one doesn't work. And I have another way. I have about three or four and they seem to have covered most dogs, but Canine trainers and handlers are infamous for the jamming the square peg in the round hole. They're infamous for it. And if it doesn't fit their round hole, it's wrong. And they're just flat out incorrect. You know what I mean? Like that guy talking about, say, the window's up. Does that work for you? I mean, is that, does, have you had success? Does that kill it for you? Awesome. Keep the windows rolled up. Does that work for you? You had success? Awesome. Keep in mind that, Every once in a while, the windows cracked might, might work better depending on like how long the dope has been in there and, and things like that. Don't be closed minded to one thing. Cause that's, that's definitely not true. Like obedience, there's three or four ways I'll teach obedience to a dog based on what the dog shows me and how good or bad the handler is. You know, am I, if he's a bad handler, I have to train tricks to get him through certification. So I'll do fancy sport OB that's mindless for the handler. He just puts a fist up here in his shoulder and the dog stares at it and he can do the whole course. But if he's competent, I teach him actual good, solid off-leash obedience to where he can control the dog at any time. And so it just depends on the dog and the person. But I, I gave up that round, that round hole a long time ago. I guess a follow-up from that is I find it very interesting that I don't know why this rank of Lieutenant in my head is, is keeps popping in, but I hear about these, canine lieutenants or these people who teach these classes who uh proclaim to be case law experts but couldn't be further from knowing anything about case law why do you think that canine handlers and namely typically canine commanders think they understand case law because they got a promotion to be honest with you, you i know. mean you wouldn't believe this stuff that i hear so here's one here's, here's a fun one <laughs> i taught in uh galliston uh, I think it's Galveston, um, which is right outside of Nashville. We do our Gallatin, Gallatin. I'm sorry. Beautiful area. Love Gallatin, Tennessee. I love Tennessee in general. And so I teach a class there two years ago, probably 150 cops in that training program. And I had a lot of canine handlers in the group, obviously, because we teach proactive patrol. And, you know, for the most part, I think people who have dogs and want to work them are, are hard chargers, right? They like to go sniff drugs. That's why they wanted the dogs. So I give a piece of case law. I'm like, hey, guys, if you have a dog that hits on a car, can you search the people as probable cause after the canine alert? And everyone's like, hell yeah. And I'm like, that's interesting. Here's two pieces of case on your state that say you can't do that. And, you know, guys were coming up in the break and I'm like, again, advocating like, but you may be able to search based on PC to arrest after the canine alert is established if the circumstances fit correctly. But I've got to try to explain this to all of you just so you can get 
a real grasp of what I'm trying to say. So in the break, people are like, bro, this is fucking like, that can't be true. Like this, we've been doing this this way forever. And I'm like, guys, has anybody ever read any of it? I've always can't. Then the guy calls me from like the canine association for the state of Tennessee. Real nice guy um, with a real nice approach to this. And I'm sure that at first he was like, what the fuck? Who is this guy? And then he's probably handed the pieces of case law and probably need a little help uh, interpreting it. So he calls me and he's like, hey, man, um, you know, just so you know, like the entire state of Tennessee thinks after a canine alerts on a car, you can search people. And I'm like, yeah, I know. You he's like, that out. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like, uh, he's like, but what you said to that class, like, you know, uh, we got to take a position on that, you know? So like, we didn't know that. I go, that's why I do the class. And uh, I said, you know, I can explain the case. Like, he was very receptive to it. He goes, well, I'm going to start putting the word out, man. I go, look, dude, I'm not, I'm not here to rain on your parade. I'm here to prevent catastrophic failures in court. It can be done, but you must do it this way. It's going to have to be as a search incident to arrest. However, I will also say this. I was pleasantly surprised to find out in Connecticut that they are training most of their dogs to sniff people. And they use a lot of Labradors, so they're single-purpose dogs. And they say, what do you think about that? I go, you know, there's actually a lot of case law, even though it's a very, um, you know, very small amount of times in this country's history where a dog sniffed a person and alerted. But every time I've seen case law, on that, the court said that was good to then search the people. And that is not something that I can carte blanche say as a bright line rule for every state. But I can tell you in Florida, there's a case for sniffing people, not the car. Yep. And in Connecticut, they use this all the time. Like, they're like, we sniff people all the time. I'm like, are you serious? They're like, yeah. I'm like, holy shit. So with that being said, how come? So again, uh, a lot of it's the arrogance of the lieutenants. Um, but so, for example, Ted, who is my co-host on the podcast, is a canine trainer, never been a cop. Ted will tell you he is on the spectrum. His specialty, using the spectrum, is memorize, memorizing case law, and he can bang it out just like that, right? I can't. Most guys can't. If I was going to court, I would definitely be researching. If I'm working, I would definitely be researching things. But if you gave a test, dude, this is not just canine lieutenants, but if you gave a test that the answer was Graham versus Connor, most would not answer it correctly. They wouldn't know. So like there's a guy named Michael Kamisic who owns a company called Sheepdog Guardian. Michael's a cop, but he is a brilliant expert on case law. Michael Kamisic will, you can call him. He will tell you everything you need to know on certain cases. Maybe you're going to arbitration from a, 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 a disciplinary case or whatever. He's got all this stuff memorized. He teaches all over the place. There's a, an attorney, Ted Doss, who was a, uh, he owns the hits canine conference. He was a, a prosecutor in Florida savant with case law always stays on top of it. But I have sat in these guys classes and watched them talk and watched not one person take fucking notes. No one. No, no one taking pictures of the, of the case law screenshot, something just guessing. And all of those are people who are just living on the fact that it's never happened. They've never been called up on it because when it comes to canine case law, I got to tell you, most attorneys don't know it either. So I don't oh, know. What you're going to tell me, dude, I, I judges listen, definitely brother. don't know. No, no, listen, 99% of people in the legal field have no idea what the law says. And when you actually understand the law, you know how true that is. 
and, and it, it's it's wild and it's flabbergasting. And you know, in my class, one thing is I do is I advocate people to buy a book that makes case law easy to read. Nobody buys it. Um, the other thing I say is, look, I'm not trying to get you to remember what case it is. I'm trying to get you to remember the facts of the case, what mm -hmm. action was taken, and why it was permissible. So, for example, I taught a class last week in, or I'm sorry, this week, Kenosha, Wisconsin, and we talked about Rawlings v. Kentucky. I promise you 95% of people forgot about Rawlings v. Kentucky, but what I need them to remember from that case was two things. One is that the Supreme Court addressed admission equaling probable cause. Admission to an offense satisfied probable cause. Uh, number two, you don't have to handcuff somebody first in order to search them incident to arrest legally. Now, we talked about the practicality of that for the most time when you want to handcuff somebody first, but there are times where we're not going to handcuff somebody when we're probably seeking to achieve a larger law enforcement objective like gaining consent to search, being that consent to search uh, is analyzed on a voluntary and freely basis for the most part. And one of the factors that courts will use to determine whether or not these consent was voluntary was the use of handcuffs. So if you're going that route and it's not a serious, dangerous situation, we don't want to employ handcuffs, but you do want to search incident to arrest and get that over with. So you got to document this such. That's all I need them to remember. That's all. I just need you to remember that part. And then when mm -hmm. you've got to, when somebody says to you, that's not true, you can bring it back up in the program I sent you and you know exactly where it was. I put handcuffs on it and you go, yeah, no, no, it says it right here. I just have it clipped out and, and you can explore it all you want. So you know, I, I I do that with the intention of trying to get them to remember that this is okay. Here's why. If you need to cite the case back to some kind of reviewing authority, here's where you can find it. Yeah, I had a guy reach out to me the other day, and he's like, uh, it was something about a bite, a use of force thing. And he's like, I need some case law to go mm -hmm. back at this lieutenant who says I can't blah, blah, blah. And I, I said, dude, Graham, that's it. It's not some obscure case law. It's the case law. Just use Graham. If you were okay to be there, you were okay to, you know, to do it. And just like uh, there's a case called Florida versus Harris, which is the right. law of this land when it comes to sniffs, right? And detection work, which it actually turned into a records keeping case. But guys are so far behind that they don't even know. And it's not knowing the case, Graham versus or uh, Florida versus Harris, but knowing that a trained final response, which is this sit, you know, dogs, you've all seen it. They find dope and they sit that that's not actually the alert. The Supreme Court has said that's not the alert. The alert is that head snap change of behavior. And maybe this time the dog didn't sit. He kind of locked up. Right. Because he's a fucking dog and he doesn't he's not a robot and he does things a little bit different. So it gets. But guys got to understand, you can't say always in court. How does, how does your dog alert? He always sits. Well, he didn't sit that time case dismissed. You know, that happened in Canada, the largest fentanyl bus they've ever had from a traffic stop. The dog went to sit and hit a curb and bounced off the curb, sat and stood up. And because the handler said he always sits, the judge threw it out. Biggest fentanyl case ever. Often we'll get asked from people about canine case law. Like, hey, what canine case law do I need to know? Well, there's two kinds of canine case law. There's canine case law to address the actual canine, which is not only Florida v. Harris, but also U.S. v. Place was the first one, 1982 out of the U.S. Supreme Court, when they certified the dog's sniff as being something known as a Latin phrase, sui generis. And I didn't do any research before this, but sui generis means uh, its only purpose is to detect the odor of narcotics or not detect the odor of narcotics. 
Obviously, Florida v. Harris gave clarifications on the records keeping, but the rest of it had nothing to do with the dog. It really didn't. The dog's alert is is indistinguishable, unchallengeable for the most part in most sense. Everything else has to do with Fourth Amendment. And people don't understand that. Illinois v. Cabayas, Rodriguez in the United States. Rodriguez. The yeah. dog was a part of it, but it had nothing really to do with it. So if you're going for a canine position, they're probably going to ask you more questions surrounding prolonging a stop and waiting for a canine, deploying a dog. Um, that stuff is all 4A issues. That's not dog issues. Dog, right. Yeah. So if you want to know real case law, read USV Place 1982, I believe is the year, and Florida v. Harris. Um Things that you should know, Florida v. Jardines, uh, where mm-hmm. you can't smell a house, um, you know, that's not allowed as a free air sniff. You might want to look into a bunch of other ones. There's plenty of stuff in your state, but there's not many that really have to do with the dog itself. We laugh about that here because people are like, what's well, good canine case law? Now, I've also got to tell you that I'm probably partly responsible for <laughs> everybody in this country thinking there's a piece of case law that gets them out of everything, can explain everything. And instead of actually looking for statutory law at all, people will write in the group, what's the case law on like taking a tire off a car? What's the case law on this? And I'm like, there isn't going to be case law on that because that's not something that would be inherently challenged. But I think people think case law, although it's probably one of the most important things, probably the four pillars of law enforcement that we all need to know, it is not the end all and be all. You're going to have to take statutory law into an account. Uh, and there's a lot more to know than just a piece of case law. And on top of it, I can't tell you how many people claim to know case law, certainly read case law, but don't understand it. And I'm not lying to you, uh, Eric. I, I, it's it's flabbergasting that some people with some fantastic reputations as being case law experts has nothing to do with you guys. You said I've never even heard of them before in my life. I've heard of hits. I've heard of that that group. Yeah. Uh, I don't. You know. I don't know. It's very interesting. And this goes back to why you have to vet not only canine organizations, but law enforcement training organizations to say, does this person, do these people actually know what they're talking about? And the crazy thing is, even the creme de la creme, what we find out, not all of them, but about half the creme de la creme don't know what they're talking about. And that's how nuts is. And the crazy thing about case was you can trick people because you have no idea. Like you could have just told me, yeah, no, what we do for training dogs is we have them do backflips off the ceiling. That's the best way to get them to bite people and not in the balls. And I'd be like, no shit, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so I, when you have literally zero clue and then somebody with creds tells you something, you're going mm-hmm. to believe it. That's why I tell people, where does it say it? Always ask, where does it say that that's true? I don't know why we're not questioning these things, like thumbing trunks, pushing down on trunks. No, yeah. How are you thumbing trunks of cars, Right. Because like they told us to, why are you not asking? Why do we not thumbprint trunks? I mean, why do we thumbprint trunks? Why are you just doing it? And doing it with the trade-off of giving away your position on the traffic stop. So if you're a target to be shot at, they know exactly where you are now. The good news is, is <laughs> the 70 to 100 years of us thumbing trunks now makes stealth on traffic stops so much easier because people have in their brain ingrained to where the cop's going to be. So when you're not there and they're trying to take your life, they can't find you. All you got to do is switch it up and not be where they want you to be or they expect you to be. It's the whole fucking game of safety, right? Where do they Where do they not know? Like, you know, you. it's like you never watch like these. Uh, you probably work with these guys, right? You got a hot domestic. He's got a gun. What does everybody do? Race up into the driveway in their fucking cars, right? 
walk right down the driveway to the house. And then like, he was shot with a fucking rifle at a hundred yards, right? Like, why are we not talking about like parking down the block, right? Um, instead of walking down the driveway, like try to figure out what you can use for cover, take it uh, a atypical response or a non-typical response to a play. Like I get some of this stuff, right? There's always gonna be this inherent danger with law enforcement, but some of this shit's just so easy to resolve. How have we in 2023 not come to a place where we can really, and, and the crazy thing is we actually have, and due to the internet, we're now getting better at this. It's because these fucking people at these training, whatever the fuck they are, and these in-house trainers and these local experts, you know, they never let any other thought come in except theirs because they knew how to do it their way. Except their way's been wrong the whole fucking time. You go to an academy that's selling your thumbprint trunks and push down on trunks, they're fucking wrong, and I can prove it. And I, I would, I would be a guest at your academy to explain why to their fucking faces. And the reason I'm so adamant about this because if you teach cops how to do that, that's how they fucking die. And on top of that, you still got academies that are primarily teaching cops to make traffic stops on the on the driver's side of the car, which is fucking nuts. And I can prove, oh it. yeah, I I can prove it's fucking insane. And motherfuckers are still mad at me for saying this. So you don't die. I, yeah, it's crazy. I've seen people call you. You've mentioned it. I've seen people get on there and say uh just blast you on it like well, that's what we always do driver's side i'm like okay man listen you're just getting lucky that's all, that's all. you're yeah. just pulling over people who aren't going to kill you funny dude so we didn't have an fto program for the longest time it was just senior guys working with younger guys right when they get hired and they would come out and ask about the thumbprint and i would tell them listen you are you could just put a pecker track on there that's about just put touch your dick to the trunk there might be even a little dna on it that's about Better than putting your stupid fucking thumbprint on there. <laughs> yeah, dude. You know, funny thing, back up real quick to Jardines. So when I was um when I was a handler, lots of times I got called by the dope unit to go sniff a house. They were it was a grow operation, right? Every time grow operation, they're trying to get your your dog would hit on the dryer fence every time. And I always remembered going up there with my dog going, A, this is fucked up. B, I'm going to get killed. I'm just walking up to sniff this dude's house. Right. With a bunch of guys in plain clothes. And I, I'm in a uniform with a dog, but still. And I was always like, uh, yeah, this doesn't feel like this is right. Like this should it worked. I mean, we it's a lot of dudes sitting in prison with massive grow operations from dog sniffing their fucking dryer vent. But during my time there, then Jardines came out and kicked. I was like, thank goodness, because I just always felt like I was going to take a fucking rifle shot um, <laughs> to the head. there, yeah. And. And one other thing that popped in my head from way back when I first got on the job, talk about case law. I remember there used to be a law in Ohio called importuning. And what importuning was, you could not ask a person of the same sex for sex that you didn't know. So uh, it was going after homosexuals is what it was. So in, in Canton, there's a park system that's a one of those hookup, homosexual hookup parks, one of the worst as far as that stuff goes in the country. When I say the worst, I don't mean it's the worst because it's gay. It's predators doing it, actual predators. And uh, so we used to have to work undercover and go in there and get gay dudes to hit on us and ask us for sex. And you could rest them for importunity. And I remember, dude, I only had a few years on the job. I was like, this doesn't seem like constitutional at all. Mm -hmm. Like a, a, I, if it was a girl, I could do it. But if it's another guy, you can't do it in that probably like 1998 
or nine that finally got ruled unconstitutional. But it's just weird when you're in the process of doing something that's legal and you're like, yeah, I think this might get overturned at some point. It's weird. But if you think that way, you're, you're actually probably doing the right thing. Let's do the last thing. Let's just do that training thing you want to talk about. And then we're going to have to wrap because uh, I have about 19,000 things happening here. And I was supposed yeah, to finish about 15 minutes ago. So, yeah, unrelated to dogs. Um, when I was in and this is just kind of a fucked up story real quick. I was in um, I was in the dope unit from 01 to 05, came out in 05, bit on the canine unit, uh, got selected. The class wasn't going to start till September. So this was like came out like February bid with another guy. We had just got tasers 2005, just got them. And, um, so I'm working the streets with bill, this guy, bill, we're working the road. They call us to an other out of our zone to another part of the city for, um, it said a naked guy running into traffic. Right. So we go driving over there. I'm driving. So at the time we only didn't even have enough tasers for everybody. So the passenger had the taser driver did not. So I pull up and I'm looking at a uh, ambulance down the road and all kinds of people. And Bill goes, Hey, you passed him. And I stop and put it in the park, get out of the car. And there's uh, the predator look just like the predator, big giant dude, completely naked dreads, like the whole big hairdo covered in sweat and covered in blood. Um, he closes the gap about, I'm going to save, 15 feet in about a second. And all you hear in the video is me say, Hey man, what's going on? And he's on me, right? Fucking stupid ass pepper spray, right? I pull pepper spray as he gets there in the face. He wipes it off, dives in on me. I actually, cause we had just done this in in-service training. I pulled guard uh, in my car. I laid across the seats of the cruiser and pulled guard. And he came on top of me, I had my knees up under under him big dude like i at the time i was probably 170 and he was 250 260 and again completely naked it's this is the summertime sweat everywhere covered in but he had so much blood it was in my underwear in my socks um in my eye eyeballs and everything he starts he gets on top of me and him and i start trading blows right and and he starts yelling i love you i love you i love you over and over again this I'm yelling on the radio, send us some help. But my radio, I'm grabbing my shoulder mic and it's off. It's not even turned on. So send us some help. Bill, it takes Bill a minute to get around the car to help me. And we're, me and this dude are fighting in the car. He gets tased. I hear the tase. I'm going, tase him, tase him. And he shoots him with a taser. The guy rears up, right? It's working like this. He comes down. And I see him look at my gun and I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. So we both reach for it. So I got my gun here. So all he has is this lever, right? He just has to do this because I'm laying on my back. So I'm trying to shove it. He gets it out of the holster. Whoa. The whole time, the whole time he's getting tased. So he's getting tased this entire time. He, he wrote it four times, but it only worked the first time. And the whole time he's going, I love you. I love you. I love you. And I pulls the, the gun out and I jam it down into the floor and we're fighting over it and fighting over it. And his hands are covered in blood and it slides. I slide the pistol off out of his hand and I came up and I put it to his head because I'm just going to kill him in the car. As soon as the gun comes up to the head, he vanishes, gone. 
Well, what happened was Bill and a fireman had grabbed him by the legs and just jerked him out of the car. So I'm coming up, just about to kill him, gone. Hop up, holster, jump on top of him outside the car. Um, I managed, he's laying down there going, I love you, I love you, I love you, like that. Uh, I get him cuffed, and I get his shoulder down, and I turn his head, so I'm kind of up on him. I got him pinned down pretty good, and he stands up and knocks me right off of him, like nothing, in one moment. Um, so I ended up kind of pile driving him back down onto the pavement and he's, I got him on his side and guess I'm doing what I know is stupid fucking brachial stuns. You know, the old school bullshit that they used to teach hitting him in the side, trying to get him to, to stop. Cause he's keeps about to get up. We're pinning his legs, but he's on his side. We don't have him pinned laid out. Takes a bunch of people. They come and get him. They ship him off. We were four blocks from the, ho- from the uh, hospital. He dies on the way to the hospital, right? They, so I held off the fireman until he stopped trying. He would look at me and then start trying to get up. And as soon as he stopped doing that, we put the board under him, shipped him off. So I'm like, wow, that was fucking crazy, man. He must have been on PCP or something. And uh, they come back and they call back and go, he died. I'm like, well, I, I don't know what to tell you. So he later on the autopsy comes out and everything and they they charge it uh they rule it as excited delirium as you can imagine when i'm explaining all this uh, excited delirium we had never heard of excited delirium um back then this was like i said oh five california had a bunch of cases of it uh portland all those areas in canada but around in northeast part of the united states there wasn't a lot of excited delirium cases we again had never heard of it um but now I know a lot about excited delirium. We end up having a lot of classes about it. You know, he's naked because they're boiling. He was 108 degrees and his heart exploded basically is what happened. Wow. Yeah. So they boil. So they're naked because they're, they're boiling from the inside out. And what then causes they, that? Uh, there's their body just, so it used to be called cocaine psychosis, right? Originally it was just their body and their brain kills themselves. It just boils them over uh, through use of cocaine. His problem wasn't drugs. He only had a little bit of marijuana and some wheat and some beer in him. His problem was he's a schizophrenic and he was not on meds. He didn't take oh, okay. meds. So this was an all day event. We, we ran into him about midnight, one o'clock in the morning. He started this at like noon. So when you get that guy who's naked in excited delirium case, they're pretty much dead already. If you get there and it's always involving a taser, you know, because that's what's going to happen. It always involves law enforcement. What this guy was doing is the cars are driving down the street. He's running 30, 35 miles an hour. He's running full speed and diving headfirst into their cars. Smash, putting his face print in the car, getting knocked out, getting up and running into the other. And it took five of those before anyone called us. So what I saw when I pulled up was he'd smashed into an old lady's car, got on the hood of her car and was just jumping up and down. And she thought probably thought she was dying. Right. And um, but then they're covered in blood because they have this weird affinity for glass and they, they break all the glass in their house. So what he did was he broke the windows out and raked it with his arms and cut. Wow. Deep, deep in, into him. Um, all excited delirium cases have that. And they have a weird thing with water. So he like you go into the house and the floors were squishy because he had to baptize the house. He had to cleanse the house. And that started at noon and no one, no one called to tell us all this stuff was going on. So I get, um, 
because I'm a dumb fuck. I uh, go back to work the next day. I didn't take any time off. I go back to work the very next day. I had to turn in my my duty. Everything was covered in blood, so I had to get different stuff. But um, I go back the next day. I'm there a couple of days. The chief then puts me on administrative leave. Uh, me and Bill, there was a few other cops there, but Bill and I get put on administrative leave. They're thinking about getting rid of Taser. They think maybe the Taser killed him. You know, this was pretty early on before the autopsy. And then it comes back, excited delirium. At the time, I was on the union board of our, of our police department. I was the treasurer. And we were going through contract negotiations. So in contract negotiations, there's no rank. So it would be members of the mayor's office and the chief of police. And so, and our chief uh, was a fucking goof, like a goof. And um, so I would refer to him by his first name during negotiations or call him you or that guy or him. And um, just to, just to fuck you, just to do it. I'm just a patrolman, right? Like we would, we would be talking and I would turn and face the wall and argue with the wall. And I go, this is what it's like talking to you buddy or whatever I'd call him. Right. So fast forward a couple of weeks, he puts me on leave. I'm off. I end up being on administrative leave for the entire summer. Um, I got really good at wakeboarding and, and I could flip on a trampoline. I got really good at that shit, but I was off for an entire summer. I go to a golf outing and a captain tells me that I'm friends with. He says, the chief says, I finally got one of those union board members. I got him. Finally got one of those guys. And this Motherfucker walks murder charges on me across the street to the prosecutor's office. The prosecutor kicks him out, calls us and tells us what he did. He ran it through regular grand jury and I was cleared. But this fucking guy was going to try to ruin my life and put me in prison over getting back at me for contract negotiation theatrics. Wow. Right? Going to try to put me in prison for life or whatever, years because he was mad at me for contract negotiation stuff. Cause I called him by his first name and didn't refer to him as chief. And um, I got to tell you, that was Oh five. I never recovered from that. Never recovered from it. I hated admins and was a miserable motherfucker. The rest of my career. If you, you can see this on video. So I'll have to watch it. This tattoo on my arm of that very angry person that represents me when I left, like <clears throat> an absolute rager at all times after that. And um, so goes to grand jury, no problem. Um, I get into canine and I'm in canine. Remember, I told you about Gina for three years. And I begged for help. I begged him. I said, they're go I'm going to get killed. And their response was, because he was still the chief, I don't care. We don't care. We don't want to spend the money. I don't care. Basically, they also didn't care because it's not a use of force report, right? There's no use of force, no big deal, no problem, even though... I almost got killed. They don't give a shit. So 2008, the family sues us. Now everybody's on board, right? Cause we were cleared and everything. Sue us for $20 million. The, um, the jury ruled in favor of us that, Oh, and the judge did not give us qualified immunity. So uh, there was four of us up for it. And uh, so our everything pension house whole life was on, on the line. The jury ruled that we were uh, good to go, but then they dig the city for $1.8 million for failure to train. Failure to train about something we'd never heard of. Never heard of it. They said 
you didn't kill him because they tried to say I suffocated him. But they're like, you didn't kill him, but the department didn't teach you how to not kill him. You just got lucky. So the department got $1.8 million for failure to train um, about something that they never heard of, never thought that wasn't a real thing, never did anything. And again, Canton is the home of Canton v. Harris, the law that says, we'll fuck you if you don't train. And still to this day, they uh, still doing basic fire stuff, firemen, fire, you know, gunfire on the range, a lot of real basic stuff. Um, I couldn't tell you the last time they did. It's been a while. My whole career, I think we did felony traffic stops once, one time in 23 years. Mm-hmm. Still busting ass, running up to the car, you know, all that shit uh, after mm-hmm. a stolen car pursuit, all that stuff. There's probably still some guys doing it. Um, but sure as fuck, we got to we gotta watch a whole bunch of videos on diversity and and all this other crap that the city, I mean, diversity is not crap. But every year, over and over and over and over again, just sitting in a classroom watching videos instead of, you know, out here doing practical police stuff with next to that guy, you know. Um, But that chief was hired in the early 90s. He's very indicative of that whole mind frame, those people we talked about early. Gonna put me in prison for murder because he was mad at me. And so I never, never, like I said, never got over that. I still believe they didn't care about Gina because they, he wanted me to get hurt um, because of all that shit that happened and beat him over all that stuff. So I have a real bitter taste in my mouth for police admins, and I think I've earned it. So people are listening to this and I badmouth them. And if you listen to my podcast and I badmouth them, it's because they're all fucks. That's why you get somebody tried to charge you with murder for a grudge. And you tell me how much you're going to love them after that. I will intervene in defense of some admins because I'm friends with a lot of chiefs who are good dudes. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's, there's some. There is. uh, And I got to defend them because a couple of my boys just got promoted to chiefs and bro, they're bros, right? Like they're fucking, they're like, they're like, yo, how do we get like their people know that they got them. And there's no egos. There's none of that. They try to hire appropriately. Um, they're not even dicks about like when somebody like they really try to listen to people. If there's a problem and they didn't get it. Um, and then there's the latter. So I, I do have to defend some of these guys and girls because as a, as a bright line rule, it, it's not the case. And I, I completely understand. And I got to tell you, a lot of my. I don't want to say anger, but my concern with why we need to change things comes from my experiences as well. Um, you know, I mean. No bullshit. I'll tell you a very quick one. One night at a traffic stop, I knew something was wrong. To make a long story short, I dug into this kid. He ended up helping helping a 15-year-old run away from home. So he was 18, took his friend, drove her to the airport. So right on the side of the road, I call the Port Authority police. They get on the plane. She's literally on the plane going to Kentucky. Some dude she met online. She's 15. She met like a 38-year-old guy. They take her off the plane. I write the report, the whole nine, get sent down to his town. They charge him. And I didn't want to. I don't think the kid needed to be charged, but they charged him. So they wanted to do with it. Um, so they charged him with like, you know, endangering the welfare of a child or some shit like that. Cause he was 18, but he like knew her. It was like, the girls are two grades under him, right? He just was a friend. He was trying to help her out. But unfortunately for him, he was 18. I write that report. I'm like, man, this is, what a feeling, right? What a feeling that I, that I rescued this girl, even though she might not have known at the time. I'm like, man, I'm like, I'm fucking cloud nine. Later that night, same day, I, um, I see a car on a t- road in our town. 
and they're doing this guy passes in like almost rush out. Like it was a busy night. He goes to the other side of the road, pounds it and almost causes like 11 deaths. I catch him at a path mark. I throw it in drive. I'm thinking it's a hot car. I'm like, this guy got to be a fuck. We called him four because it was signal 45 for us. I'm like, this is impossible for why I want to call it out because like, I don't want people to get fucking nuts yet. I'm like, so now I'm like, my adrenaline's pumping. I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a newer guy, I'm probably three, four years on. So I fucking race. I fucking follow him. I'm trying to get the plate in to make sure it's not stolen. I'm like, where did And he abruptly stops. And I literally bumped the back of his car. Right. Hmm. Now he's looking at like a 14 points in tickets for the fucking shit that I saw. This was like some of the, into my mind, I can say some of the craziest drive I ever saw in my life. So much so I, I was convinced the car was stolen. So I come outside. I look at the damage and I go, there's lit- my hand to God, Eric. I swear I'm everything that I love. There was not a mark on either car. It was like just a, just a bump, but we got cameras and I, I'm not going to take a chance of like not reporting this right. And then getting mm-hmm. something on me or this kid coming in later and complaining that I didn't report a crash. So I said, uh, I said, you got to stay here. Da, da, da. I'm like, you know, whatever. I'm not going to give you tickets. I'm like, what the fuck? He was like nervous about getting the tickets. He didn't care. He's like, nah, dude, don't even worry about it. Like, if you're not giving me the tickets, I don't care. I'm like, yeah, I know this game. Then fucking he'll tell somebody what happened. They'll say, go report them. You can get money. You'll hurt. You'll claim, you know, anyway. So I call uh, Sergeant to do the report. He's like, there's no, and I'm like, you know, you're just writing the thing. I come into work the next day. Terminal Affairs is waiting for me. I said, for what? He goes, for that fucking, for, he's like, for that crash you had last night. I go, there wasn't even damage. He doesn't matter. It was the second time in three years. And the next step is a reprimand. I go, are you fucking, did you read my other report last night where I rescued a fucking girl who was boarding a fucking plane and a runaway? Now, so-and-so has charges on her, on the, on the guy. And, and I'm like, she didn't go to this fucking, it was, I stopped a complete headache from happening. And he's like, yeah, I, you know, don't shoot the messenger. And I, I, I swear to God, it was the first time in my life when I, cause I was trying to be a good boy for a while. I went, well, you can take this message back up with you to the second floor. This place is a fucking joke. I go, that's what kind of fucking examples you're setting for everybody here. You want to know why morale sucks? Because I literally should be getting a fucking award from last night. And instead, I'm getting fucking dinged on something that basically didn't happen. I was just covering my nuts, which you guys tell me I'm supposed to do. But then when you fucking do it, you get in trouble for it anyway. I go, that's why this place is fucked up. And he's like, dude, I agree. I don't think it's right. I'm like, fuck this. Fuck everything here. Fuck this place. I was hot. I was pissed, dude. And so no acknowledgement from any of my good work ever. Bumper to bumper bump. No damage. Nothing. Letter of reprimand. Go into my permanent file. You know, my file. Mm -hmm. There's a ton of dudes that are listening to this right now. They're going, yeah, I saved a girl from getting kidnapped and I got a letter of reprimand because they didn't have my hat on. I know. It's fucking nuts. The hat fucking people. Yeah, anyway. All right, we got we to gotta end this one, bro. It was great. Yeah. All right. See you, bro. Great talking, great talking to you, See you, bro. Yeah, take care. Guys, if you're in an area where you're trying to get to our classes, but we're not close to you, fret not. We actually have on-demand training at streetcop.com. You can take that course online right now, and then you could attend that training in the future at no additional cost. You can redeem your voucher. So you get two for the price of one. We don't want to deny you the ability to take this training now, especially knowing that it can keep you safe at a very minimum, putting bad guys in jail where they belong and at the maximum going home to your family. Check out streetcop.com for that offer.